Book of Jonah. End of your Old Testament. If you can find Matthew, just start backing up. Only a two-page book. Last week we, we looked at chapters 1 and 2. Today we're going to look at chapters 3 and 4. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, all of chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to start with the last verse of chapter 2. And uh, I, I just think, I know it's kind of a long passage to read, but it's important that we, we get the story here. So last verse of chapter 2, which is verse 10, and then all the way through the end of the book. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Uh, Jonah began to go in into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Then word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with a sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation of, uh, and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. Who knows, God may, re- may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? And also much cattle. Father, we thank you for uh, the word of God. And Father, we see today, uh, just in the book of Jonah, that it is a gracious thing. It is a merciful thing that you've given us your word. And Father, I, I pray that you might open our hearts to it. Father, we know that it's through the Holy Spirit that we're able to understand spiritual things. That we're able to understand your word. We're able to see and value and, and love you as we ought to. And so, Lord, we ask you today that your Holy Spirit would do that work in us. We, we invite you to come and, Lord, to speak to our hearts today. 
Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you weren't here last week or maybe you've slept since last week and you need a little refresher, let's talk about where we were uh, last week. We were in chapters 1 and 2 in Jonah. Quick overview. Uh, here's, the, here's the story with Jonah. Jonah's a prophet, okay? What does that mean? That means he is a guy who preaches God's word. He's a guy who, who tells people to repent, who calls them out of their sin, uh, who calls people to, to, to seek God, to call out to God. And everything's going great in Jonah's life. He's doing the job of a prophet. He's preaching the word. He's calling people to repentance until one day day, God calls him to a different location, okay? Now, that's where everything goes wrong for Jonah, because God calls Jonah, the prophet, to go preach the word of God to a place called Nineveh, okay? Now, Nineveh is not an Israelite city, all right? So, these are not Jonah's people. These are not his his hometown. These are not people like him, and, and even worse, these are the enemies of his people, okay? Nineveh is a city in a, in a country called Assyria, and Assyria is an enemy of Israel. In other words, Assyria is kind of the big kid on the block. And they are taking over everybody. They're gaining ground. They're taking over countries. They got a great military. And they're ruthless, idolatrous, cruel, and a violent people. All right? And so Jonah does not want to go to Nineveh. And the reason he does not want to go to Nineveh is because he doesn't want Nineveh to have any of God's grace. Okay? Jonah doesn't want to be a part of that. He, he doesn't want to go there. And he doesn't want God giving grace to his enemies. Now, Jonah's not, not against grace. Okay? We learned last week, Jonah likes God's grace for himself. Okay? Jonah wants grace for himself. Jonah wants grace for his family. Jonah wants grace for his people. But Jonah does not want grace for the people that he doesn't like. Okay? He doesn't want God to, to be merciful or to be gracious or, or, to, be, or, to, be, or to give salvation to, to his enemies. And so what Jonah does is Jonah disobeys God. God tells him to go east, which is to Nineveh. Jonah hops on, on, a, on a boat and, and goes west. Okay? Well... God disciplines his people, as the Bible tells us, that God, that's what God does when you're his people. He, he doesn't let you go. He doesn't let you live in disobedience. He begins to put difficult things in your life to draw you back to God. And, and so what God does is God sends a violent storm uh, upon the ocean where, where Jonah's at in the boat. Instead of repenting, uh, Jonah's one of those slow learner guys, okay? He doesn't get things uh, right away. He, he's got to hit rock bottom. And so instead of repenting right away, jo- Jonah makes him throw him overboard. So he gets thrown overboard into the the ocean, the storm stops, Jonah sinks to the bottom, and there on the bottom of the ocean, as he's taking his last breath, as he's about to die, Jonah finally calls out to God in repentance, and God saves him in the form of a whale. Now, again, being swallowed by a whale would not normally be considered salvation to most of us, but in this case, that's the way that God chose to save Jonah, okay? Uh, Jonah, Jonah, uh, God sends Jonah uh, the whale, the whale swallows him, he spends three nights uh, and three days in the belly of the whale, okay? Sometimes God bring salvation in unexpected ways. Now, here's where we pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 10, last verse of of chapter 2. And it says, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, you remember last week we talked about there are uh, some other historical accounts, one that we read of anyway, uh, of someone being swallowed by a whale and still living. All right. It was the guy that was on the whaling ship and they're out in the longboat. The longboat gets hit. He gets tossed in the water. He gets swallowed by the whale. Whale's already harpooned. They draw the whale in. They start gutting the whale and they find this guy 
guy who's been in there for 15 hours and he still lives, okay? But, but we talked about that that's really not evidence that, that this thing could really happen because the point of the book of Jonah is that God is, is, is acting in a supernatural way in, in order to teach us a lesson, all right? So this is a miracle, okay? It's not, it's not something that happens every day. People aren't getting swallowed by whales every day and, you know, they're, they're not on the rescue patrol out in the ocean, you know, saving people. This is not an ordinary thing. This is a supernatural thing. And that's evidenced by the fact of not only does the whale swallow Jonah in the bottom of the ocean, out in the middle of the ocean, but the whale takes him to shore and vomits him up on the dry land, okay? So, so the whale is kind of the, the rescue crew of, of the ocean here. And he brings Jonah to dry land and he spits him up on the dry land. Now, notice the progress. Here, here's the first thing that hits me about this passage, chapter 3 and chapter 4. Notice the progress that Jonah gained by being disobedient to the Lord, okay? Because that, that's a good question that we ought to ask because we all are probably tempted at some point in our lives to be disobedient, right? The Bible says we're all sinners. We've all fallen. So we have that, that sinful nature within us. And probably this week, you're going to be tempted to be disobedient. God's going to call you to do a certain thing and you're going to be tempted to do another thing. You're going to be tempted not to listen to God, not, not to heed his call, to resist what he's, what he's prompting you to do. And so here's a good question for us. What did Jonah gain by being disobedient? What did he gain by his rebellion? What did he gain by saying, look, God, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, okay? Well, if you notice, here, here's what Jonah gained. Absolutely nothing, all right? Do, do, do you get the, the irony of chapter 3? He's right back on the beach listening to the same call that he heard in chapter 1. In chapter 1, the Lord appears to Jonah and says, hey, go to Nineveh, preach this word to him. Jonah says, I'm not going. I'm being disobedient. I'm doing what I want to do, not what you want to do. And, and Jonah goes through all this catastrophe, disobeying the Lord, and, he, and, he's, and he's put right back on the same beach that he left and with the same call of God, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach my word. Jonah gained absolutely nothing through disobedience. The only thing he gained was a catastrophic boat trip. He ruined the economic fortunes of a group of sailors. He was on the brink of drowning and he spent three nights and three days in the belly of a whale in stomach acid. That cannot be a fun thing. Correct, right? Huh? And so, so the point here is that sin gets you nowhere. And the Bible tells us that over and over. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 tells us that, that don't be deceived. God is not mocked for a man reaps what he sows. And, and if you sow to your flesh, if you sow to your own disobedient nature, you're going to reap corruption. That's what Galatians says. Sin does not get you anywhere. It has no long-term benefits. Sin comes from not having God's heart, not loving what God loves. And, and folks, the lesson we need to learn here is get God's heart quickly. Jonah does not have God's heart, which leads him into disobedience, which leads him to all this catastrophe in his life, and then he ends up in the right, in the exact position that, that he left from. He gained no ground. Nothing was gained in Jonah's life by being disobedient. Now, in fact, we could almost say, go further and say, not, not only was nothing gained, but actually, the reason nothing was gained is because God was gracious, okay? Because what did Jonah really deserve for his disobedience? He should have died, right? I mean, he's in the bottom of the ocean. He's on his last breath. And it wasn't, if it wasn't for God's grace and mercy, Jonah would have died right there. And in fact, the Bible tells us that, that the wages of sin is death. Okay? So, so Jonah not dying here in the bottom of the ocean is actually a form of God's grace. 
So Jonah gets a second chance. Anybody glad that for second chances in their life? Jonah gets a second chance. And this time, God tells him again, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to preach to that great city. And this time, Jonah decides to obey God. All right? Now, now hold on here for a second. Don't think that, that because Jonah is obeying God here that Jonah has God's heart. Okay? Because as we're going to see in a moment, Jonah still does not have God's heart. Okay? He still does not love what God loves. He still doesn't have God's heart for people. But he is being obedient which tells me that it's possible to go through the outward motions of obedience but not have God's heart. Is that possible in your life? Has that ever happened in your life where, where you go through the outward motions of obedience and, and you're doing the right thing, you know the right thing, you're doing the right thing, but you still don't have God's heart? Now, now let me just say, that's better than being disobedient, okay? It, it, it's a step better. But really where we want to get to and where God is trying to bring Jonah to here in this book is to have his heart. Okay, so Jonah's going to obey. Jonah's going to obey. He's, 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 he's doing the right thing. He's going to Nineveh. He's going to preach the word. Now, now, here's an interesting thing. Okay, Jonah goes to Nineveh, preaches an eight-word sermon. Some of you are really excited about that. That's your favorite part in the book of Jonah, isn't it? That some guy had an eight-word sermon, and, and, and I, I'm a little past that already, and we still got a long ways to go. But he preaches an eight-word sermon. Now, now think about this, all right? Why, what was the reason that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh? Well, go to chapter 4, look at verse 2. We looked at this last week. He says, uh, for, for, um, verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Jonah says, this is why I went the other way. This is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. He says, because of this reason. For I knew that you, he's talking about God, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Why does Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? He doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he knows God's character. He knows that God is a gracious God, that God is a merciful God, that God is slow to anger, that God is relenting, that that when people repent, God will save. Jonah knows that, okay? And you're saying, okay, that still doesn't tell me why does he not want to go to Nineveh? Because really, what's Jonah's job in Nineveh? Jonah's job is to preach the word, okay? Jonah's job is to preach, and specifically, a word of judgment against Nineveh, okay? So so get this, all right? Follow, Follow me here. This is cool. You know what that tells us? That tells us that God's word being proclaimed to people is an act of grace. Does that make sense? You see, why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? He didn't want to go because God's a gracious God. Okay, well, but still, his, his message is, hey, you guys are in sin. You're living in disobedience. God's going to punish you. Judgment's coming upon you. But, but put those two together. You see, Jonah doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to be a part of that because preaching God's word to Nineveh is an act of grace. Now, 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 stay right there. We're going to talk about that for just a second. But let me just say this. It's not the only way that God's grace is given to people. In other words, we're called to be, be ministers of grace. We're called to on a mission to give God's grace to the world. Okay? And what I'm going to tell you in just a second, what we're going to unpack, is that one of the primary ways that we do that is through giving people the Word of God. Okay? Telling people the Word of God. There are other ways that we do that. We do that through our words. We, we've been memorizing verses in our children's program on Wednesday night. Many of you adults have memorized them as well. And there's one that we did a couple weeks ago, Ephesians 4.29. And it says, uh, and I'm going to, let's see. What does it say? Help me out. Let no corrupting talk proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. This is the NASB, sorry. As uh, according to the need of the moment that you may give grace to those who hear. Okay, did you hear that? 
One of the ways that we give grace to people is by, by speaking words that build them up. Okay, So we can actually be a minister of God's grace. 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us that through spiritual gifts, okay, as we exercise our spiritual gifts, as we minister to other people, that's one way that we distribute God's grace into other people's lives. But, but, but let's come back to the, to the book of Jonah. Okay, So there's other ways that we, we distribute God's grace. But I'm, what I want to tell you today is what I think Jonah uh, is experiencing here is that the primary way that we give grace to other people is by... By giving them the word of God. That's a gracious thing to give people the word of God. It's a merciful thing to give people the word of God. So, so listen, when God points out sin in our lives, when we open up our Bibles and we read things about ourselves that we don't like, when God points out our pride or our rebellion or our faithlessness or our lack of love for the things of God, whenever, whenever we're in a Bible study and God points out some, some area in our life that's that sin, just understand, here's what God is doing. God is being merciful to you. Have you ever looked at that way? God is being gracious to you. God is, God is showing his steadfast love to you through giving you the word of God. That's a gracious thing. You know what? God could have just sent his judgment on Nineveh, couldn't he? I mean, they, they were in their sin. They, they were being disobedient to God. And God could have just rained down judgment upon Nineveh. God did not do that. God chose to send a prophet to give them grace. And he gave it through the word of God. Now, now, now let, me, let me explain further. How, how is the word of God... How is someone preaching judgment to you? How is that a gracious thing? Well, let's just suppose, just consider this illustration. You're going to Oklahoma City and you're driving 85 miles an hour. Now, I know none of you would do that, but let's just, just, let's just suppose over here in the black shirts that you're on your way to Oklahoma City and you're driving 85 miles an hour, okay? And a policeman, you see the lights in your rearview mirror and there he is behind you. He pulls you over the highway patrol and the guy comes and he comes to your window. He knocks on your window. You roll your window down. And the guy says, look, I want you to know that you're going 85 miles an hour. And I want you to know that that is against the law. And I want you to know that if you continue to live that way, the judgment of the state is going to come upon you. And I want you to know that the state cares about you. Okay, we're having to stretch a little bit. The, the state cares about you, and they do not want you to die, and they don't want you to injure somebody else, and they don't want your, your kids who are in the back seat to get hurt. And, and so the state has made a law, and you are breaking that law, and you do, you, you, you're going to experience the judgment of the state if you do not stop doing this right now. Sir, do you understand this? And they say, yes, well, I understand this. And he said, all right, you have a nice day. Okay, and he gets back in his car, and he lets you go. Now, what would you consider to have been done there, huh? That would be your favorite highway patrol of all time, would it not? I mean, you would talk about that guy around the dinner table, wouldn't you? You would say, that is the greatest guy ever. Man, he's the greatest highway patrol. I tell you what, he was so nice. And, and man, I tell you, he told us what we were doing wrong. And he warned us. And he told us that, that, that if we didn't stop, the judgment was going to come. And, man, I just so appreciate that guy giving us that word, okay? Wouldn't you do that? Now, now why is the highway patrol? a hero, but when God gives us his word or or your family member gives you the word or or someone in in your small group shares God's word, why are they a villain? Do you get what I'm saying? Why is the highway patrolman a hero, but God's a villain when he gives you the word of judgment in your life? You see, it shouldn't be that way. We should see God's truth as a gracious thing in your life. You know, here's what the Bible says. When we hear the gospel, when we hear about the cross, when we hear about sin, when we hear about that this is wrong in our lives and we can't live that way, that's a gracious thing. In fact, Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. 
Folks, most people don't look at truth in that way. Most people don't look at God's word in that way. In fact, most people see God's word as abrasive or judgmental or uncomfortable. But folks, that's quite the opposite. Okay, To withhold the word of God from someone is an ungracious and an unmerciful thing. That's what Jonah wanted to do to Nineveh. Jonah did not love Nineveh, so he did not want to share God's word with Nineveh. Why? Because he knew what would happen. And what would happen? Well, let's look. Okay, Jonah preaches an eight-word sermon throughout the city of, of Nineveh. And look what happens. Verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, go on a day's journey, called out yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's his whole sermon. And verse 5 says, The people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Wow. Eight-word sermon, and there's great repentance in the city. You know, maybe that's our problem today. If we just preach eight words, God would bring about this great repentance. We'll try that next week. uh, We're going to try that. I won't be here, but Drew will do that. Eight words and everybody will repent. All right. Drew, just give them about 10 minutes. If they don't repent, then give them about, you know, a thousand and eight words and see what happens then. Okay. Uh, Verse five. So what happens? What's the result here? The people of Nineveh believe God and they call for a fast. All right. First of all, they believe God. You know, that's the fundamental problem with people in our in our world with us okay that's the fundamental problem with us is that we don't believe god right that, that, that that's called sin that that's the heart of sin is not believing god not believing god that we're hopeless and helpless in our sins not believing god that we need him not believing god that worship is is the purpose for which we were created not believing god that he's everything that we need not believing god that jesus christ is the most glorious and satisfying being in the universe not believing god that things like pride and selfishness and anger and lust and immorality are offenses against the creator and are soul destroying to the creator Preacher. But Jonah preaches an eight-word sermon, and the people believe God. And hear this. There's immediate evidence that, that they believe God. You know, that's something we see in the Bible, is that whenever people truly repent, whenever they truly believe God, you know what? There's physical evidence in their life that clearly shows, hey, something has changed in this person. In, in, in Acts chapter 16, let me give you some examples. Acts chapter 16, when the Philippian jailer believes God, all of a sudden he lets Paul and, and Silas out of jail. He cares for their wounds, and and he fixes them supper, all right? An immediate evidence of salvation. Acts 19, 19, when the Ephesian believers, when they believe God, there's this big bonfire and they burn all their, their cultic stuff. When Zacchaeus believes God, remember that? When he believes Christ, he gives, uh, what, what was it? Over half of his income away to those whom he's stolen from. Folks, whenever people believe God, there, there's clear evidence that something has changed in their heart. And, and so what happens here in Nineveh? First of all, they call a fast. You know what? When people stop eating in our culture, that's a sign that something is is drastic, isn't it? Something's changed. I mean, that's a big deal, right? So they call a fast and they they stop eating. They put on sackcloth, which is a sign of mourning. And everybody from the street bum all the way up to the king repents of their sin. God works an incredible work of repentance. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. And let everyone turn away from his evil way, from the violence of that is in their hands. What, what are they doing? They're turning away from their sin. That's, that's what repentance is. They're turning away from their sin. And so God relents. Okay? God's not going to punish Nineveh. Wow. An eight-word sermon and a whole city repents. Let me ask you. Should Jonah get a, get a gold star for this? You know? Think about that. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody else. I mean, Billy Graham, Charles Spurgeon, George uh, Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards... I can't think of anybody in the history of mankind that's preaching eight-word sermon, you know, walking through a city and the entire city repents. 
Well, here's something I want to point out. God worked in spite of Jonah, didn't he? God worked how? Through, Through his word. Jonah still does not have God's heart, okay? That's interesting to me. What's interesting to me about that is, is that the power for repentance really lies in the word of God, not so much in the person preaching it. Now, now don't go the wrong way with that. The, the application we should make is, well, okay, hey, I don't, I don't need to be, have a clean heart and I don't need to live right and I don't need to have... No, 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 not at all. You need to have God's heart for your sake, okay? And also for the sake of others. I do believe that God uses people who, who cleanse their hearts. But, but here's, here's what I also want you to realize. You don't, you don't need to be perfect in order for God to use you. Okay? Jonah's a great example of that, doesn't it? You know, how, how many people have you talked to who say, well, you know, I, I'm just going to step back with the things of God because, you know what, my life's not perfect and, and I don't, I don't want to try to minister and I don't want to try to share with anybody because, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I've, I've still got things in my life. You know what, maybe you do, but here's what I see through the book of, book of Jonah is that God uses even a rebellious prophet. So Jonah preaches, God gives grace, the people repent, there's great salvation. And look at this, chapter 4, verse 1, Jonah's angry. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, this is what I, want, well, this is what I said when I was yet in my country. This is why I made haste to flee from Tarshish. Jo- Jonah's mad. Jonah still does not have God's heart. Okay? God asks a question in verse 4. He says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah's gone out east of the city, set him up a little little booth there. He's going to wait, watch, see if maybe, maybe Nineveh will blow it and still be destroyed. That's what he's hoping for. The prophet still does not have God's heart for his people. So you know what God does? Isn't God gracious? God continues to, to, to seek after Jonah's heart. And, and so God, God puts in play another object lesson. Okay? You would think the whale, the storm, you know, all that would be enough. But again, hey, some people are pretty obstinate, aren't they? So, so God, God does something else. What does God do here? Well, this, this is the last part. What does God do? God, God appoints a plant. Okay? Look at verse 6. It says, the Lord God appointed a plant and he made it grow up over Jonah. This plant miraculously grows up overnight over Jonah. And that it may shade him, uh, shade or be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Okay? Now notice, notice what, it, what it says here. It says, Jonah was exceedingly glad for the plant. Okay? In verse 1 it says he's exceedingly mad that, that, that Nineveh is going to be spared. But he's exceedingly glad over the plant. All right? So Jonah's, Jonah's a happy guy, finally. All right? Through the whole book, he's not been happy. Finally, he's got some shade. He's happy. He's happy about the plant. Well, verse 7, you, you almost get the feeling that God is toying with him here. But verse 7 says, when dawn came up the next day, God appoints a worm that attacks the plant and it withers. Okay? So God appoints the plant. It comes up. He's got shade. He's all happy. God appoints a, a worm. God kills the plant, and now what? Well, look at verse 8. God also appoints a, a, a strong sun and a scorching east wind. The sun beats down on the head of Jonah so that he's faint. And again, he asks that he might die. He's really angry. Okay, verse 9 says he's angry about the plant. He's angry enough to die. And then God brings this object lesson together. Okay, so you got the facts here before we, we unpack it. Plant comes up, brings shade. Jonah's happy, finally, through the whole book. First time he's happy, okay? God sends a word, ki- worm, kills a plant. Plant dies. Jonah wants to die again. He's very mad. Uh, and look at verse 10, okay? Here's, here's what God says about this object lesson. Verse 10 says, 
And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Now look at verse 11. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand or their left, and also much cattle? All right, what's this whole object lesson about? Well, God is comparing the plant to Nineveh, okay? And here's what he says to Jonah. He says, okay, you're really upset that this plant has died, even though you didn't labor for it, you didn't plant it, you didn't cause it to grow, you, you didn't do anything for this plant. You have no investment whatsoever in this plant. Not only that, but it's a thing that grows up in a day and dies in a day. I mean, it's a temporary, you know, plant, okay? And the implication there is, God says, shouldn't I, if you pity the plant, shouldn't I pity Nineveh, which, and, and apply those same categories to Nineveh, okay? Here's what God's saying about Nineveh. God's saying, look, I planted Nineveh, okay? That's, that's true, isn't it? We, we know that. We know that, that anybody who exists has been created by God in the image of God for a specific purpose. So, so God planted Nineveh, if you will. God labored over them. The Bible says that God sustains us by His grace. If you're alive today, it's because God wants you to be alive. It's because God has given you breath to live. God has, has, has cultivated Nineveh. God, God has spoken truth to Nineveh through His natural revelation. The Bible says that every day that we walk outside and we see a sun that goes up and a sun that goes down and we see stars in the sky and we see a, a natural world that fits together absolutely perfectly to sustain life whenever we see all of this stuff around us it's all evidence that there is a god who loves us and created us and cares for us so so god has planted and nurtured and cultivated nineveh god has invested in nineveh god expects fruit from nineveh and, and, and like 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 the plant something has destroyed what ought to be the case in Nineveh, okay? That's not a worm in Nineveh, it's sin. Sin has destroyed what ought to be the case in Nineveh. Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, ought to be giving God the glory. They ought to be living for His glory. They ought to be bearing fruits of righteousness, but they're not because of sin. And unlike the plant, which was alive for a day and and gone and no more, the people in Nineveh, 120,000 souls, are eternal souls who will live forever. And there's a great C.S. Lewis quote. I didn't write it down, but we, we read it a couple weeks ago in, in a book we're reading um, by C.S. Lewis. And Lewis talks about the eternal nature of people. And, and, and he talks about that the, the most unimportant person that you know, you know, that you just wouldn't even give a glance to, that that person will one day be one of two things. They'll either be a creature so glorious that if you were to see them now, you might even be tempted to worship them because it would be so glorious, or they'll be a creature so agonizingly horrific in hell that it would be worse than your worst nightmare. That's true of people, isn't it? Of all people. People you pass by, people you don't give a thought to. Every person that's ever lived, that's living right now, will, is an eternal soul who will live forever, and they'll live forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. And so God says, Jonah, you're upset over a plant. Shouldn't I have mercy? Shouldn't I pity a city that's perishing with 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? What does that mean? Most people, I've always took it as, as a reference to children. Um, 120,000 kids. Should, should, shouldn't you be merciful there? Some people think it, that he's talking about people that are just morally bankrupt. They don't, they, don't know God, they don't know God's law. They don't know God's truth. Either way. Notice specifically the, the, the point that God's driving home. He's saying, Jonah, what do you get upset about? 
That's an interesting question, isn't it? What do you get upset about? What, what, what riles you up in your life? What, what stirs you up? Okay? What, what is it that, that, that really gets under your skin? Okay? What, what is it that bothers Jonah? What, what does Jonah really care about? What's Jonah protective of? What, what, what if it's threatened? Does Jonah get angry? Let me tell you, it's not the souls of men. It's not the people of Nineveh. It's not hundreds of thousands of children. What is it that, what is it that upsets Jonah? When his shade gets taken away. Are you getting the point there? That's the thing that brings Jonah comfort in life. In this case, it's a shade plant. And that's what upsets Jonah is when his comfort is taken out of of the way. You think we're anything like that sometimes? What causes you to get upset? What causes you to be deeply upset? Is is it children not being ministered to? Is Is it people not hearing the gospel? Is it people groups without Bibles? Is it family and friends who are living in rebellion to God? Is it students who are falling into sin? Is it not enough workers on the mission field? Is it not enough team kids staff? Is that, is that what upsets you? Is that what really gets you riled up on a daily basis? Is when you see these things that ought to be in the kingdom, when you see that, that people ought to be being ministered to and people ought to have the word of God, is that what upsets you? Or are we more like Jonah? And what really upsets us is when our transmission is having trouble. Or when our motorcycle gets scratched. Or when our vacation gets bumped. Or when our new plasma gets knocked over. Or when the workload increases. Or when someone needy keeps, keeps wanting more and more from your life. When somebody's messing with your shade. What upsets you? Isn't that, isn't that a great question for Jonah? What, what, get, what, 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 what gets you upset? You know what gets God upset? What gets God upset is people living in sin. What gets God upset is people not giving glory to Jesus. What gets God upset is, is people destroying their lives through, through not living in a relationship with God. You know what gets God's people upset? Hopefully it's the same thing. That's what we want, isn't it? Hopefully it's the same thing. Hopefully our heart matches God's heart. And the things that are important to God are the things that are important to us. I mean, that's the point of Jonah, is that we ought to have God's heart. The things that God loves, we ought to love. And the things that upset God, they ought to upset us. But so many times, it's not the case. And God's heart is over here. And God is passionate about the souls of men and the word of God going forth and people being ministered to and little kids like Ivy Abram hearing the gospel and having a team kid teacher and a small group teacher that invests in their lives. That's the thing that God is really passionate about. And so many times, what are we passionate about? Our shade. Right? What do we get really angry about? When someone messes with our shade. You know the scariest thing about the book of Jonah? Interestingly enough, it's not the whale, okay? It's not the whale. It's not drowning in the ocean. The scariest thing about the book of Jonah is how it ends. How does it end? Well, it's over. I mean, we, we just finished it. Should I not pity? It's God's question. Should I not have mercy on the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand or their left and also much cattle? And it's done. What's troubling about that? What, what would we like to see there? What, you know what we'd like to see? We'd like to see Jonah say, you know what, God, you're right. God, I've been given grace, God, and, and, and I've come to you and I'm disobedient and I'm a sinner and you've given me grace. And you know what, God, I ought to be gracious to others. God, I need your heart. That's what we'd like to see in the book of Jonah. How does the Jonah end? It ends with this disobedient guy pouting in the desert, angry and bitter. 
Wow. That's powerful to me. You know, you know why that's powerful to me? I don't want to be that guy. You know what I found? People who don't, people who don't learn to give grace to others often end up just like Jonah. People who don't end up, people who don't learn to, to, to say, you know what, God? You've given me grace. I'm going to extend it to my enemy. I'm going to extend it to that person who's hurt me. I'm going to extend it to that person who, who's done me wrong. I'm going to extend it to that family member that I don't really get along with. God, you've been gracious to me, so I'm going to be gracious with your grace. People that don't learn that lesson often end up just like Jonah. Don't let that be you.